Right. 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 So I don't know. It's about to start. Then you spoke over me. Anywho, <laughs> let's just go from here. It's uh, episode 189 of the uh, No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. Uh, here is your host, Mr. Brizzle Hadley, and my um, co-host, uh, I was Winnie, the make... <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Um, for anyone not watching on YouTube, uh, which would be all of you because this doesn't even go, <laughs> go on YouTube, uh, that is a Winnie the Pooh mug that Jonathan is drinking out of, which is definitely an upgrade on the Sports Direct mug that you usually drink out of. Mm. I do believe I bought it in Disneyland Paris. Uh, a matter of fact, a uh, gold one, or what we call it. It is a nice mug. Yeah, I would say it's gold. It is. And, uh, and you know full well it's from Disneyland. It's overpriced. Oh, 100%. It'll be uh, many, 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 many francs. That. No, euros at the time. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I guess the euro has been into play for a good couple of decades now. So, uh, like potatoes might. I don't know that's Spanish, but I like potatoes. 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 Yeah. I, um, I don't remember the de- denominations much, but obviously it was like ten thousand. You know, on a, I don't know, like a, a a drink was like five hundred pesetas or something like that, wasn't it? I think it was, was it a, was a a green one like a quid? Was it a thousand pesetas a green oh, one or a red? I don't remember. I don't. I don't really remember. I used to go to Spain or Canaries or you know the Balearics or that a lot when I was a child. Kind of your Magaluf's, uh, Ibiza's. Not really mainland Spain though. To be honest, my parents never really took me much to mainland Spain, if ever actually to mainland Spain. I think I maybe went to Barcelona on a day trip once, if I remember. But we used to go to Mallorca, Menorca, yeah. and Salou once, which is mainland Spain, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't like Salou because it's like a, it's too crowded. Yeah. 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 Same. It's normally Tenerife, Mallorca. Uh, I, I think I remember Ibiza once or twice, maybe. But. Yeah, that's what I remember. The pesetas. Um, do, I had one recently, actually, but it's remind me when I always think of that. I always think of uh, the chocolate milk. Was it? I think it's. I think it's something like c- cacao, or the brand is cacao. So I can't remember exactly what it is now. But little yellow bottle with a little red label on it. Lovely yeah. chocolate milk. I had one only about four or five weeks ago, maybe six weeks ago. Reminiscing. Yeah, it's um, the milk was nice as well. Whether it was goat's milk or something other, but it was just there was something about it that was really nice. I think it's because they don't do low fat milk. Maybe as, in, as even those chocolate milks. Obviously, bear in mind, um, you know, you're not drinking. Well, I say you're not drinking chocolate milk if you're dieting. You, maybe you might be, but um, I was looking at these bottles, thinking, right, oh, there might be a decent pre-workout, something low fat and high carb and you know, some protein in it. And I was, the fat content, I was like, wow, it's like a bottle is like eight nine grams of fat or something. It's only a little two hundred ml bottle. It's quite substantial for a for the bottle up, eh? Yeah, yeah. More so than whole. It must be more or higher fat content than whole milk, I think. But it was uh, it was delicious. It does. Add, let's be honest. It does add to the taste. Yeah, high 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 calorie fatty sugary foods are the best, aren't they? Really? Yeah. Um. They also uh, high fat content milk make very good milk frothing, as I found out with my lattes and my ability to make latte art. Are you getting uh, better? You look more improved. I am getting better. Um, if you'd have watched any of my Instagram stories, Jonathan, you'll have seen my attempts of the last few weeks have re- have become far, far, far better than the previous attempts. Um, and I do, yeah. I, I, I attribute part of that to using the right tools, which is whole milk and not semi-skim milk or anything lower fat content. When I originally tried to on a coconut milk latte, it was fucking terrible. 
So the biggest issue you've had with that machine is the actual raw ingredients. Yeah, pretty much the beans and the and the milk. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Be bastard. first. Yeah. Now you're trying to be low calorie and putting shit milk in. Well, I'll be honest. It's only because I don't generally have whole milk at home, other than for the kids. They have it on their cereals or if they drink it. Uh, I would have semi-skimmed in tea and stuff. Uh, I don't. I don't get anyone that puts skim milk in tea. But what? No, thank you. Um, or on cereal, really. Um, although, I probably have a bit of a confession uh, to make uh, while I'm on the the, the the topic of milks on cereals. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think I've got a feeling it was Sam I had the conversation with. So I think it was uh, you, mate, if you're listening. Um, but I said I do not, and I and I despise other people put whey on their cereal as in not powdered whey as in like a whey shake and then pour it on the cereal as if milk and I did, and be honest it's only, be, it's only because it's always too thick it's always a bit like f- grainy or gritty and it just ruins cereal I'd just rather have milk and a protein shake on the side um, but they, my protein do, do a cookies and cream uh, whey which if you do it thin enough it's really nice on cereal so I started doing that so hence my confession so uh, yeah I I guess I have to say I was wrong. I'm sorry. Although no, I don't think I'm really wrong because for most ways I still think it's shit and it ruins it. In the same way, don't put way in the same way. Way unintended pun. In the in the same way, don't put powdered whey into your oats, as we've explained before. Disgusting. I do that. I don't put it on cereal. I don't tend to eat because I'm dieting now. If I fancy something, I will sprinkle little Kellogg's cornflakes sometimes over yogurt. Oh. You're talking about getting about 10 grams. Rock and roll. Look at whatever calories, it's not many. 37, I'd imagine. I think, I think, because I looked at the box recently, it was about 370 calories per 100 grams. Mm. And what I've been doing, because if anyone's working nights, you know how horrific appetite can be. So what I've been doing instead, not all the time, I admit, but at least half the time, when before it was 0% of the time, I've, I've been using uh, fat-free yogurt, 450 grams, which is about 200 calories, mm-hmm. and a scoop away, because that is like cool. really filling it, and it's fairly giant. Is that normal yogurt or Greek yogurt? As uh, in, is it strained, or is it just normal? Greek. What, Greek style or actual Greek? I'd have to look at the pot. Is it really? Is it thick or thin? It's pretty thick, yeah. If, it's, if, if basically, would it? Would if you turned it upside down your spoon, would it fall off? Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to say Greek style then. Um, all, all I'm thinking is the, the the protein contents of those yogurts are vastly different, and 450 grams of Greek yogurt with whey in it seems quite overkill on the protein front because I imagine oh. that's probably, well, you know, a scoop of whey plus that it must be like 60, 70 grams of protein. Let me, let me get the pot. Let you go get the pot. I'll ramble on while you get the pot, but that's quite a lot of protein. Now, we, we've we done episodes on protein before, and I don't, uh, you know, I, I think most of our listeners, if they've listened to that anyway, and if they've listened to us at any point throughout this, uh, we don't subscribe to the idea that uh, large boluses of protein are wasted as such. Um, but there is obviously a, also only so much protein that can cause muscle protein synthesis in one go uh, before you kind of max that out and then have to wait for a refractory period to end prior to uh, being able to stimulate maximal muscle protein synthesis again. So I feel a little bit like overkill, but anyway. It is. However, I'm, I'm, I was wrong. It's not even, it's nothing Greek at all. 
Uh, what is it? Uh, county farm factory natural yogurt. Natural yogurt, right? So it's just plain yeah. yogurt, but still, okay. Well, wait, that that cool. that makes more sense of adding, you know, protein yeah. weight to it. Fifty grams of this is twenty-two and a half grams plus the weight. It's just about fifty grams. Twenty-five. Yeah. It'll probably a little bit more, and I'll put um. I'll put, uh, I will get another bowl, mm-hmm. put like 250 grams of frozen fruit in it, warm it up, and Oof. then stick it in the bowl. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, you mean warm the fruit up before you put it in the bowl? Yes. I was going to say, don't oh. warm the yogurt up. No, 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 no. So I'm having a giant meal that fills me up and it's not horrific calories. Yeah. Because usually I put like, I don't know, 80 grams of oats in, sometimes 90, then whey, then honey. Then fruit on top, then maybe peanut butter, which ends up being like nine hundred calories. Which yeah, is ridiculous. That, that's the that's the thing on that type of meal in that it's uh, quote unquote clean, um, you know, healthy, loads of loads of really healthy, high quality, nutrient dense foods, but all really calorie dense. And if mm. people conflate, I suppose, health foods with either diet foods or even weight maintenance friendly foods, aka if you're not paying attention to what the energy density of your foods, you can easily rack up a lot of calories without really realising it. Like, in that type of scenario, like oats, honey, peanut butter, fruit, even dried, you know, like dried fruits and stuff, people might put in granola, all these healthy foods. You've got a thousand calorie bowl, immediately. Okay, it tastes lovely. So what I've been doing as well is going, not adding what I call needless fats that don't really do much for your hunger. So, on a diet, I don't really think, for me anyway, pro, uh, peanut butter does much, really. That's what it tastes a little bit. So I've just, I've knocked out, I don't put nut, I don't put any nuts or anything, I don't put peanut butter or anything. I'll get my fat from eggs, and obviously if I cook with a bit of oil, there's a bit of fat in there. Um, and meat, if possible. Yeah. So I, I try and deliberately not add in any additional fats where possible mm-hmm. I'm probably averaging about 50 grams a day yeah. which is I, probably the minimum I was going to say I think um, well I mean in terms of obviously our recommended amounts of, of fat content the evidence is sketchy at best in terms of any real recommendations you can make on fat content because the research isn't really even there um, I think the evidence based recommendations generally fall around the well finger in the air half gram to sorry yeah half a gram to one gram of fat per kilogram per day so if you roughly around the 100 kilo mark which obviously you're not too far off are you that would be 50 grams a day um as in the minimum amount as in half gram per kilogram i think uh for most people that 50 gram 40 gram well if you could, i always think if you consume about 2000 calories residual fats in foods that just generally people pick you're going to hit that without really trying 40 50 grams um unless you're specifically really trying to go hyper focused on really high carb or or i should really say low fat foods i think it'd be difficult to get lower than that without really picking out like foods that just contain almost no fat i'm just looking now at a few days one's 45 grams one's 59 50 46 yeah, and that's with you actively trying to kind of go reasonably low fat, isn't it? Yeah. I, I've had I've had days where I've done, or, or I've had periods where I've utilised a 
ultra high ultra low fat ultra high carb ultra low fat diets for things like refeeds or trying to specifically carb load um so i'm trying to pick food with like literally no fat or as little fat as i possibly can and even then i struggle to like do a day with less than 15 20 grams over the day because it just because even the food you pick have the odd gram here odd gram there you just can't avoid it i know i I mean unless you're a small female who's eating poverty galleries it's difficult to get less than 20 in it really hard yeah unless you're picking like i don't know cereal Hmm. i think it's quite it's quite difficult to get less than you know for average person like it and let's say unless you're actively going out your way it will be difficult to get under that 40 50 gram mark i think for most people um which is obviously not a problem because as i say the the evidence based half gram to one gram would be fine anything above that is also fine the problem with going above that is um assuming obviously calories are, are, are considered and that you're obviously looking after your actual calorie intake still and not increasing that to accommodate the extra fat you then have to start eating away other macronutrients like your carbohydrates and your protein which might have a detrimental effect on other things like either you know carbohydrates for performance or energy or you know protein content and stuff like that so you need to obviously consider that there's a knock-on effect of a lot of these things yeah because to me fat is obviously it's essential but i think the amount that's essential is very very small mm-hmm. i would i thought for for performance and body composition keto people would not agree with this however we can ignore them um <clears throat> Protein clearly is needed to maintain muscle mass and or potentially build some on a diet, maybe. Um, and carbohydrates for energy and it's easier source for the body to uh, utilize. And we think, really speaking, carbohydrates is the only the thing that really produces any hormonal response of any significance. Insulin, which is uh, you know a good thing, really. I know it's insulin at all, however. You know yeah uh, it is when when we're talking about kind of body composition and trying to optimize as much as you can like if you're talking about body composition lean body mass or tissue i suppose obviously like your man broderick often goes on about this like when you're picking the types of macronutrients to consume if you're thinking about which has the you know aligns with an, an anabolic response or well, fat zero carbohydrates potentially some protein the most so obviously you're like, well, you know, why would I not? Why would I favour fat over carbohydrates when one's kind of, in air quotes, more anabolic than the other? Yeah, hundred percent. And the fact as well is, for me, fats don't tend to, especially because I'm, I'm for, for my, I suppose my body weight, they're pretty uh, low calorie. So for me, fats just don't fill me up. Yeah, like, it, all I'm... the good carbs on on a nice fibre. Is all in veg, in it, which is all carby, plenty of fiber, and you can just pile it on and it fills you up. When as a little bit of peanut butter doesn't do anything really, you think you could easily go 150, gra- 150 grams, 150 calories of peanut butter when that could be a lot of vegetables, yeah, especially green veg. Oh. That's what you need when dieting. I think this is <clears throat> if you went. See, if you went with the evidence base of, say, between 0.5 and a gram, and you wanted someone to have a gram of per kilo of fat, then that's a lot, it's a lot, it's quite a lot of calories in it, really, when I think a lot of people could benefit with lower-fat approaches with 
higher carb because mm. I tend to think people worry about <clears throat> hormones too much as in you need fat for your hormones yeah you do but how much do you really need I don't need 60, 70, 80, 90 grams a day you know so I think <clears throat> especially for fibre making me feel fuller all of phytonutrients, you know, multivitamins, minerals, all that's going to be in your veg and your carb stuff. There's a couple of things that I was thinking of going for a head in that on the, on the kind of the topic of fat. So like dieting and fats and kind of food volume and satiety and all these things. I, I'll be honest, I'm like, I'm mixed in a little bit in that. Absolutely. I kind of feel like appetite management is generally better. I think in my opinion, not really evidence-based as such, but in my opinion, in terms of kind of the higher carb approach, because you can generally get more food volume, obviously fiber is very much aligned on the evidence-based around obviously higher fiber foods of higher satiety levels. Um, hence, white potatoes are very much on the high food, uh, the high satiety food uh, and number one on the satiety index. So that type of thing. And I, I think obviously for that reason, they're, they're very much worth utilizing. However, there obviously is the, uh, or, or some evidence that obviously albeit sometimes mixed but some evidence that like kind of ad libitum or spontaneous eating of like of people on ketogenic diets do tend to eat a bit less partly whether that's because of the just the nature of lower food variety because you've the restriction of a whole macronutrient and therefore you know they just you get bored of eating bacon and eggs for breakfast or whatever i don't know um and living on buttered steak for dinner every night because obviously that's the only things you can basically eat you just end up just not eating if you could if you if you manage to follow rather than just kind of break and binge but that might be to do part of it but then the reason i kind of said all that is because i think there is also an element of like when i've had very low fat content meals sometimes i do feel like there is maybe either a little something missing whether that's psychologically or whether that's kind of from a hunger and from a from a hunger perspective maybe like yes the food volume and the fiber and the roughage and all of the you know the, that stuff does it does allow me to feel full in my stomach but i feel not quite satisfied in that 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 feeling also disappears quite quickly as that food volume kind of gets churned up by the stomach whereas sometimes i've had higher fat meals and felt more satiated for longer um yeah. so and obviously that's this anecdote part mostly um that's why i think sometimes i keep coming around to things where i think about this type of stuff and i think oh, maybe just that moderate very mixed meal approach is generally better rather than going one extreme or another extreme and you know if that would probably align with everything else we would normally talk about in nutrition which is um so you just kind of go full circle going about high carb or high fat and then you think oh, actually why not just a mixed meal because generally most people feel better that way which i and to be fair I think unless you are getting to the real extremes of dieting where you're constantly trying to battle hunger, which is obviously the extreme end of a diet rather than it shouldn't be what your entire diet's like, then maybe you do have to start to think about more, right, do I need to really try and utilise higher volume foods to help with with kind of the hunger periods and stuff and just put up with a not quite feeling so satisfied because at least I can feel the food in my stomach type approach. Um, but that being said, I don't put peanut butter in stuff for the sheer reason I don't feel like it's really warrants or worth the, the calorie volume. Um, how many calories you're eating I suppose as well isn't it yeah that is, of, of course it is there'll be periods where I'd like you know now I'd have no issues with sticking that in and having absolutely zero effect on my overall hunger levels throughout the day um, during a diet clearly that's going to be completely different 
so you just make a different decision don't you but i mean i can i i can afford to eat biscuits and cakes now and then not eat for hours and hours and hours and then because i just don't feel like i need to because i'm not hungry i couldn't do that on a diet if i if i had a piece of cake on a diet and ate five six hundred calories out of my allowance and then that then meant i i couldn't eat for a, a reasonable period of the day because i've effectively used all my allowance up in that time period i would struggle because the hunger would kick in too early and I'd really then start to become food focused and struggle on on my diet and appetite and regulate, regulate it all. So. Do you think psychology as well, knowing I've just wasted a quarter, potentially a quarter of my calories on shit that's not really yeah. anything? Yeah, so, I, think it's, I think that's a good, really good question because I think, yeah, there's definitely a part of that. And I think, again, that probably is really individualised that there will be some people that that works the other way in that they enjoy that food so much that the psychology of it allows them to just basically put up with the hunger because that's more important to them and it's a bit like what we talk about people that they come to us and diet they, they only come to you because they like the idea of being able to diet and have a glass of wine at night logically you're like mm, that's not the best choice for a diet a glass of wine like liquids not for particularly satiating um obviously no nutrient density whatsoever in that really uh and if anything the you might start to relax and become a bit less or more susceptible, I should say, to uh, to obviously overeating on other foods because the you might get a little bit tipsy on a glass of wine type thing. So you think, well, actually, it's a really poor choice when trying to lose weight. But then there's just some people that that is the one thing that allows them to kind of just be adherent because they like it and they enjoy it, and sometimes that's enough. So I think it is quite individualised. That like my response would be to that question that there will be some people like, and I think you do learn this yourself, like as a as a person or you know, i've had clients that have learned this over time where they love the idea of being able to be flexible and add in those sort of foods but as they gain their own experience their own autonomy and make their own decisions and stuff they start to make decisions where they just don't bother including that stuff because actually they have learned the hard way they realize it's just not worth having that cake so well, no i think i've had, I had a conversation with a client what was it yesterday Saturday. yeah yesterday about <clears throat> alcohol funny enough white she hasn't had any since January, so dry January and half of February. But she says <clears throat> there's going to be occasions at the end of this month where they're going to start for an occasion. And she said, I will never go through my life <clears throat> not drinking wine. I said, that's fine, because obviously we want to align your life with your goals and not have the diet detract from enjoyment in life. But what made me realize that she is <clears throat> i would say different to a lot of people and she says i don't drink to get drunk i drink because i like the taste of different wines and high quality wines i think well i said i've had it i don't say i said you're clearly in control of what you're drinking and then having that um, glass of wine or two wine three in a weekend I said, as long as you're mindful, which obviously could become an issue if you get if you, have, if you get a bit tipsy, because you probably won't become as mindful. But as long as it's uh, controlled and you do it for that reason, which is obviously a mature way to drink. Enjoyment, yeah. Yeah, you, you're doing it to enjoy. You're not doing it to get drunk. Yeah, you've got to get Larry Sand, get off your face. Yeah, go ahead, Sad. Yeah, a lot of people drink to get drunk. It's like, well, all right, yeah, but... In that scenario, I I wasn't even concerned about it. We had a brief chat, but I said, don't, don't worry about it. No. 
no and, and i'll be honest in that scenario people will also learn again maybe we spoke about it, they'll learn from their decisions when they make them like whether it goes goes well or not so well you know they'll learn regardless of in terms of how mm. they then want to start to incorporate stuff like that that's what i find anyway i think it, obviously a lot of people with alcohol is one of those key things as well they start to realize whether it's actually genuinely worth it i mean the amount of clients i've had that used to be big drinkers and then gone through this kind of process and now just like i'm just really not bothered just suddenly realize that it just doesn't really do anything for me and i guess they they're probably not the people that are drinking wine because they like wine as in they like the taste of wine they like the different varieties and they like the experience they're not that they're probably not the sort of people because obviously if you if you are that sort of person you're probably not going to stop drinking wine because you like it it's a bit like me and coffee you know this the experience of drinking the coffee is as much for me as almost like the taste of the coffee and people that are into kind of specific drinks like wine or, or alcohol generally are often the same aren't they 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 will oh, find yeah. that the experience of it all and trying different brands and learning the history of how the wines are made all that type of stuff is as much of of the thing as the the drinking of it so they're unlikely to just go oh i'll just stop one day um we are also taught it does tie in with this and me or me well i think it'll help people as well to talking about motivation um and going through periods because she's currently going through a period of doing a running challenge, right? She's a runner anyway. So from, so for her to do a three extra kilometers is not really an issue. But she said, oh, because of all the time constraints I've got now with the kids working from home, all this other stuff, that I can't do it all. I said, well, you don't need to do it all all the time. You just need to, you can even face things. You can now, you can focus on your running like 100k a challenge or something like that 200k challenge over four like and then just put in one or two weight training sessions but then when a challenge is over flip it over do more of the weights at home and then do less of the running and I said and she talked about it yeah, I'm motivated now because I've got the time to do things but things will change I said well you don't need to be motivated on it all the time just think of it because you're flexible. You go through times when when you feel you've got the motivation, hit it as hard as you want. So hit it harder when you've got motivation. But when you know you've got time constraints or the kids got stuff to do and you can't quite commit, which happens because it's life, then you can then back it off. You don't need to go on it all the time. If you're on it all the time, for months and months and months on end, then you do you are at risk of the wheels falling off because stress is cumulative across everything in it psychological, physical, everything. So we talk about actually going through phases where we deliberately back off. So the diet and the training don't add on needlessly to stress. So I think think when people are on a diet, they think they're gonna go from like whatever, twenty stone to twelve stone in one it. Generally speaking, I mean, for probably 90 odd percent of people, that doesn't work. You'll be, fa- you'll be in phases, go from 20 to 16, have a break, relax a bit, stay there, then go lower, and do it in phases. So I think when you go, when you try and get it for too hard for too long, you burn out, maybe be too stressed, maybe fall off the wagon, and probably be in not the best position at the end of it. So when people, but people should probably take 
uh, an approach where when they've got motivated, just like at the start, at the start of a diet, for some people, hitting it hard at the start of a diet in a really, really aggressive deficit at the start works well because they motivate at the start for the first four to six weeks. And you can you can lose substantial weight in six weeks. I mean, who's to say you couldn't lose 18 pounds? Which for a lot of people is like, oh my God, I've lost so much weight. And then either carries them over to keep the motivation off. But when they do sort of wane in motivation, life goes in a way, they've lost huge amounts of weight at the start. So you can back it off and they can maintain for a bit and still be well on track to where they want to be. And then hit it hard again when they've when life allows it. Yeah. So I think people should be aware that they can do that. Yeah. Obviously, if you've got time constraints, then A, you should have a better time management for your body, as in, if you know you've got something to do, then you probably should put things in place earlier. However, if not, then you can't really afford to not be on it, I don't suppose. If you've got a 12-week, 12-week, I don't know, holiday to go on, and you've left it till now to sort it out, then you're going to have to go on it for 12 weeks and then come on me at the end. You... Or, or accept that, obviously, you, the progress is what you can make of it rather than you kind of having a specific goal you want to hit. You might have to accept that, you know, the progress will reflect the effort you can put in. Yeah. Well, yeah, 100%, yeah. Like, I, I go to the wedding in, well, maybe 12 weeks, 12 weeks, or slightly less than 12 weeks. If I started now, there's no way I would get anywhere near, anywhere near, I want to be. I started 12 weeks ago, so I'm probably not going to get. I probably ended up being too heavy to start, but at least I've left myself six months, not three. Mm. Which, unless I'm willing to kill myself for 12, I mean, I could. If you went on something like a you know a Lyme McDonald rapid fat loss and had 1,400 calories a day, no, I could probably lose three pound a week for the next 12. I'm like you could you could do a um, Christian Bale diet. What he did for the machinist, Is it the machinist, yeah. That film? Is it like four four hundred or three hundred calories a day or something for fucking four months straight or something, and just decimated himself? <laughs> like I, I can only do that if obviously he's probably paid a couple of million. I'd have to I'd have to leave the house. I'd have to I'd have to I'd wow. have to go woods somewhere and live in the woods. I'm, I imagine that obviously he would have had the ability to, like you say, one getting paid a fortune. But I guess when you're having to, you can dedicate yourself to a role in that way. It would include obviously twenty four seven the way you live now. Like obviously he couldn't. I'm sure he couldn't go around living his normal life, but just in the absence of food, because um, yeah, like can I I I can't even imagine what it's like unless I guess like a lot of people that fast, um, just get to a point where hunger becomes not a thing. As in like he fast for so long, or like he obviously ate so little that he's probably just. We imagine he'd just be so hungry all the time, but actually, I suppose you maybe just you just don't become hungry anymore. No. You know, like Mister AB, who went an entire year about eating. Yeah. You know, I imagine it can be done. It definitely can be done. It's like it's a tough one there. Like if I did, I, if I, I could, I, 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 I like I lose three pound a week if I did like McDonald's rapid fat loss average. But it's like, all right, I'd be you know thirty six pound like that. So I would be well, one hundred and seventy pounds. So I would, I would be. I wouldn't say I'd be like shredded. Shred, I, to me, shredded is competition body, but mm-hmm. I would definitely be between 
between that and voters who blame Ira. I've been a single digits, mm-hmm. easy, I think, but I don't think I've got the mental capacity to do it. <laughs> well, this is it, isn't it? It all comes down to that motivation thing again. Do you have the motivation me, to do it? Yeah, I think for me, because my job is very active, it depends on the shift. I can deliberately walk around for 12 hours straight. And I could probably 30,000 if I really put the effort in. Uh-huh. So for me, <coughs> me, easy for me to hit a substantial amount of, it's not cardio, is it, but it's a substantial amount of activity. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you, you know, across a day of 12 hours of walking, is probably a substantial amount of calories across a day. But I can probably do it for like three, four weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or maybe two weeks, maybe a week. Maybe not at all. Maybe a day. But uh, yeah. Couldn't do Mr. A.B.'s, but I... No, no, I didn't. I didn't I did, well, I'd say I don't think I could, but then, as I say, I've never fasted for more than, outside of being ill, for more than, like, a day. And I will say that, actually, I, I suppose, after a point of fasting, you do get you do get kind of waves of hunger, but not hunger all the time. I, I found that I got waves of hunger, which is probably the kind of, you know, your, your grilling and stuff kicking in to terms of... Because gr- grilling, obviously, leptin, people that might have heard us talk about those before in terms of hunger regulating appetites leptin is secreted by your fat cells to basically kind of tell you when you're satisfied um after eating so obviously the the less fat you have the less leptin you produce therefore it's kind of a self uh managing i was gonna say prophesized but self-managing type of hormone almost in that as you get leaner it tells you it, your body gets worse at telling you you're satisfied which makes sense because that means you were then likely to eat more and stop getting leaner so from a survival perspective that's really good grilling is the other way in terms of that it's secreted by your stomach um at me kind of almost at meal times you can actually train it to a certain extent i suppose we all do in that this is why we kind of generally get hungry at the same time today i mean i don't know if like you johnny or whether you've experienced it but i find it amazing how almost to the minute how regular I can be like oh I feel hungry and it's like the same time every day it's like that's how weird and kind of like your body how, how strange and how kind of weird yeah the weird the body is almost in that I can do that so um yeah so I guess like when you fast that that still happens like you still have green secretion which then obviously is trying to get you drive you to eat because obviously it doesn't want you to starve in the same way as leptin obviously stops being produced because obviously it wants you to continue to eat it doesn't want you to feel satisfied obviously these are all as, as i say in the in the period of when you've been dieting for long periods and obviously your body's trying to kind of kickstart that survival mode you know that, you, that we always talk about starvation mode um but no in, in serious though that's where you get those waves i think when you fast but i think you can ride those waves and then next thing you know you're kind of not hungry again that's what i found and i wonder whether that would do that for longer periods and obviously kind of that effect of grilling or what other reasons also what it might be in terms of kind of hunger and waves wherever it just becomes easier over time fasting yeah possibly Perhaps. yeah i've never done it so i don't know firsthand but i guess like obviously if you th- look at someone like mr ab or you know the people in the minnesota, minnesota starvation um study or uh well christian bale say that you know how, how do people stick to it in terms of that level of adherence to something what seems on the outside so difficult to do oh yeah unbelievable unbelievable go back to the point you made about uh, timing I'm the same. However, in the last few weeks, I haven't been. Mm. Well, I, I, all I was going to say with you, though, in terms of having different meal times, and this is probably, or this this certainly plays into the uh, literature of 
uh, shift workers and kind of appetite regulation. For you, surely that must be difficult to because that, that's half the problem is you're completely messing around with circadian rhythms, kind of hormonal responses to stuff by working days, nights, having different meal times, and also part of the reason why people's suggestions around managing that type of stuff is to not have meals outside of your usual regular time so if you're working nights say have either protein only because there's some research and literature around kind of the effects of carbohydrates and that on blood glucose levels and insulin secretion um at night times compared to during the day and stuff and so obviously it's kind of like safer almost to only consume protein at night time um but also to try and also align your meals where possible kind of more around the daylight rather than night time so i guess for you like it is it's it'd probably be weird if you did tell me that you had regular eating kind of patterns like normally everyone was having your breakfast i am when i go to work well when i've had time off i've been going to like i can go like to like 10 o'clock without Eating, which for me is quite late. I mean, if you eat up at half six, six, I'll eat as soon as possible. But it's been, it seems to have got easier the longer it is I don't go in, which is odd, really. Uh-huh. For me. And I find, <clears throat> I'm finding it easy now. Like at the start, I didn't, at the start, you find it easy not to snack. In the middle, you think, oh, it's getting a bit hard work. But it's come back to get, don't feel, I, I don't find that hard to snack, not snack, which is odd. Usually, as you go deeper, things get more difficult, isn't it? But like on a, on a, on a shift thing, it's like I think sometimes <clears throat> people forget that on your first night shift, I'd be up from six in the morning, and I'm not going to bed till six the next day. So <clears throat> there are definitely strategies you can put in place, but effectively you're up 24 hours. So <clears throat> you've got to manage. You're probably going to have maybe a potentially higher calorie day. To try and mitigate having mental hunger at the end of that next day or beginning of the next day, stick in the morning. So it's quite a difficult. All, all I can guarantee you is I'm always hungry after nights, without question. Apart from once, once ever, which was last week. And I had a little bit of yogurt and that's it, which is unheard of. I don't know what, I don't, there was nothing different about that, that night. Mm. I slept on the same the next, the, the day before. I got out trying to have an hour before I go in. Ate roughly the same things in work. I always have two meals, and it's usually a load of veg and some sort of meat. Mm-hmm. Some is yogurt and whey, but not very often. But yes, always, always after nights. Weird. Mm. Weird. Well, maybe your motivation is just better this week. I think so. I think I know it's getting like. Tw- I think you just, I know it's just a scale. But you see, you scale and you feel. Don't you just feel like oh, I've. You go from like I'm still a bit wobbly beard, and you go like it's almost like overnight. You think, oh, I feel better now. Mm-hmm. I know it's clean on overnight, but well, I think I look a bit better now. What if I was to tell you, Johnny, motivation is bullshit? I would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I see. You've played this game before. Reminds me of a Simpsons skit. Do you remember this? Uh, that's not a knife. This is a knife. No, that's a spoon. Ah, I see. You played knifey spoony before. <laughs> I'm sure I've done that before on the podcast actually fucking classics in this episode but no um, motivation is very much bullshit uh, and let me tell you why um, the problem is though Johnny as you know uh, if you rely on motivation uh, when times then become unmotivated which happens regularly if not uh, well 
always basically let's be honest everyone becomes at some point unmotivated you just don't do shit and then you don't get stuff done and then that becomes a consistent spiral of inconsistency which is a big problem for something that especially kind of when your goal is something along the lines of body composition related or hypertrophy and stuff because we've said enough times consistency is probably the key driving factor to any of this stuff i think i can't remember what episode it was because it was ages and ages ago but i've said the uh, the longer i've worked in this industry the longer i've trained myself so kind of like my own anecdote experience from my own training but also working with with a number of clients now i kind of find and this is a really shit sales pitch so anyone listening to this might think oh i won't bother with coaching then but just turning up is probably 90 percent of the actual fucking thing it's 90% of what you're going to get in terms of results, or maybe not 80%, say, is going to be based on, like, disclaimer, plucking numbers out of the air here, right? <laughs> but you get my idea in that consistency is like the key big rock that is just turning up and doing the stuff. Now, obviously, if you turn up and doing the stuff completely wrong, aka, you know, you're not, you're not applying the scientific principles of training, say, or you're not, you know, you're not applying scientific principles of nutrition, then it's clearly going to be really suboptimal and you might then struggle it'll plateau quicker than you should do and all this type of stuff but for the most part if you're getting most of those things right and you're just turning up every day i reckon most people are pretty happy with this the progress they would make over a lifetime but problem is is people don't turn up because they're impacted by motivation and they then struggle so you know something might go wrong in terms of um an injury and then rather than kind of try and work around the injury they kind of just do something completely unrelated or do nothing, do worse, do nothing. And then... I remember yeah. training with one arm, I just get on my shoulder. <clears throat> doing legs with one arm. I don't the legs, not impressive, is it? But one arm, shoulder press it, bicep curls, rowing with one hand. And like, yeah, they were shit, chest. They were shit sessions in comparison, but it's like, so that would do nothing. And be even worse when you recover. Yeah. And you will get a lot worse because muscle is fairly well they fairly easy to lose you don't train for 12 weeks you're going to know you're going to notice it <clears throat> if you just do a little bit of stimulus who cares if your left side's a bit tall and your right yeah. at least you should want something well um, there's uh, I can't think of the papers but there's there are some papers out there that shows you that um, training uh, unilaterally in terms of single muscle group um, yes you'll see some progression in that one muscle group compared to the other but that shows there's some effect in terms of how quickly the other muscle catch up catches up so that's really fucking shit english it, they're, they're, <laughs> i need to find the papers basically there's a positive effect on the other muscle that you're not training by training the the muscle that you are and there's a few papers to back that up as in terms of like you know if you do have a shoulder issue you know like doing a single arm shoulder press has actually some potential um positive effect on the other shoulder still um which is strange but it's it's actually an evidence-based thing and i i think also doing something is very much better than doing nothing for the most part i know obviously that's a bit of a funny that sounds like a funny fit pro statement doesn't it but it's true that like doing something that aligns with your goal or is kind of taking you further and serving you towards that goal is going to be better than just saying oh it's not perfect or it's not optimal so i just won't bother because that's i mean a lot of people do that with nutrition as well don't they you know it's that idea of fuck it i've broken this weekend so i'll start again on monday but in the meantime, I'm just going to eat everything in sight because that's just the way our psychology or psyche is almost made up. 100%. People do, people do. We're training themselves, and they have a shit session. I did. But saying so that, I don't want to go down the garage because I don't really feel motivated to go down there. But uh, cause when, when the special gyms are open, I go down there, and it's, the environment's not really good. It's in a cold garage, it's got it's leaking. 
I know you're kidding, but it's going to warm inside. It's cold. There's not much weight in it. So I'm like, either I do it, and I, it's me, I probably would even progress in week to week, right? Down there, because I'm not writing it down, I'm just doing it. But at least I'm doing something. And for me, in my head, it's like, because <clears throat> I'm dieting and not really trying to gain muscle. So much the stimulus I need to retain muscle is nowhere near that of what I need to build muscle. So I thought, at least I'm doing something. Mm-hmm. Then if it's a good session, then so be it. But on your comment about not progressing, um, as in, obviously you're saying that you're not you're not recording it, therefore you're not guaranteeing that you are yeah. cr- applying a form of progressive overload. However, like we've said enough times, though, it doesn't mean you're not progressing because actually just because oh. you're not recording something doesn't mean you aren't you know creating stimulus and that that kind of um the idea of progressive overload being the only way to grow is true in the long term but i think in the short term actually that sometimes that can be misapplied because obviously there are you can grow in many rep ranges you can grow in you know we talk about the effective reps and that you're kind of suggesting that to, to stimulate or cause hypertrophy you kind of want to be getting to that five or less reps to failure to in that you know whatever rep range you're doing in in that's probably enough to then create a, a working set that will stimulate some form of hypertrophy but you know you might do you might not apply progressive overload in the way you have just said in terms of working or writing your stuff down and you may not have done more reps in the previous week but if you're still getting less than five reps to failure, which you probably are, because if you're training hard enough, just generally, if you just got the idea that oh, I'm just going to go in and train hard and int- and have some intensity in terms of not intensity on the bar, but as in you know, kind of when we talk about relative intensity, we're talking about actually the intensity of effort. Um, what? Why wouldn't you be progressing still? You're probably still hitting less than five reps to failure. You're probably still causing the stimulus to that would we would say scientifically should be promoting hypertrophy, hypertrophy, hypertrophy. So, you know. You're probably actually doing yourself a bit of an injustice in that statement, really. Although I know what you're saying, obviously, because it gets to a point where you can't keep doing that and progressing. Um, you do have to actually progress. Fuck me. Apply progressive. It's really hard to speak. Apply progressive overload over a longer period. So over the long frame, a long time, over a longer time frame. Because obviously, if if you find yourself two years down the line still doing the same reps and the same weight, then the likelihood is you're not building muscle, or you know you aren't progressing. Yeah, but what I think because I'm I'm at the because I'm training in the cabin with with uh, one of the person I'm at not the mercy, but because it's his movement, I'm a, to me I'm obliged to do what he's doing because he's doing me a favour. So I'm like right, whatever I'll do what you do. Right, I know in my head I'll just I'll monitor like bench, squat, and rows. Just to, I remember because it's easy to remember three. I remember the top set and how many reps I got. And I know I've progressed on squats for three weeks in a row. So I know, generally speaking, across everything, I'm probably getting stronger overall. Maybe not on, I don't know, bicep curls, but I, generally speaking, I'm probably getting can, stronger. Can I, can I stop you there just as an example, just to use that as an example, because I think it's a good good analogy or a good example of kind of what, what I was talking about earlier in that. So if you took bench press, say, and you did your top set, and say you did... 10 reps on whatever it is and that was one rep to failure because obviously just Johnny you're trained hard you're wee mate you're motivated you're trained hard yeah so you got yourself to one rep to failure boom right um, if the next week you come and you only did two reps to failure you didn't quite do as many and the next week you did two reps to failure 
the next week you did three weeks to failure and then you did two weeks to failure and three weeks to failure now you might think well none of those they're all backwards numbers like as in terms of you know you did more reps the first week than you did the following second third fourth fifth week but if you then think take a step back and think about it logically like well actually we know that if you do a set of an exercise and that generally speaking you get less than five reps to failure you are promoting some form of hypertrophy that then means every single week in that, that all those five weeks you create some stimulus for hypertrophy so yeah. that that's kind of like the idea of like where people i think misalign this idea of progressive overload because you like on the face of it talking those numbers going backwards that doesn't feel like you're progressing but when you think about well actually let's look at the principles of the scientific principles of training and hypertrophy are you doing or following that process yes you are so that is that is progress you have stimulated muscles every single week to grow and should be getting bigger now obviously that only works for so long if you still continue to do the same number of reps for the, on the same weight because clearly yeah. that hasn't resulted in extra muscle or you know becoming stronger um I suppose like you don't have to be stronger to, 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 to grow but you know I mean obviously over a period of time they are very much aligned in that you, if you're getting bigger you're probably going to be getting stronger and vice versa um, so yeah I, I guess that's kind of what I mean and hopefully that's a good example of what I mean in terms of like people should stop worrying about having to beat last week's logbook all the time as well because actually you know you will have weeks where you can't beat the last week's logbook but that doesn't mean you've gone backwards that just means you know you're just tick, you maybe not have ticked off as much hypertrophy as the week before but yeah. they're all they're all creating hypertrophy. They're all creating muscle gain, like week on week on week. As long as you're still hitting that less than five reps to failure. I think it was who was it? I think it was Adam Mike Chazelle or Broderick, two guys mostly listen to. And they said you don't have to beat it every week because you know a hundred k bench rest to ten, like two reps in reserve, could be enough to stimulate you for three four weeks. Doesn't mean you have to go hundred one, hundred two. Because well, obviously within a year you've gained like forty kilo bench press, which is you know never gonna happen in reality. Yeah. First year, all right, yeah, you probably will. But oh, five, ten years in, you ain't doing that. You know, unless you suddenly find some magic potion after twenty years of training, you, which generally speaking it isn't. Yeah. So, do, do you know what's like what's funny? Like, um, not quite exactly the same, but my friend Steve tagged me into something two days ago, which was a video from several years ago. Um, you know when everyone did these fucking neck nomination your, shit. Your pull up thing. You are. Your pull up thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you saw it. Yeah. Well, my friend, my my friend Steve tagged me in that right, and uh, I watched it back and thinking, oh, that's painful to watch. Got fifteen wide pull ups. That's really good. And I realised they're all about fucking sixty percent range of motion. And um, at the time, I was like, oh, you know, didn't seven or eight years ago, whatever it was, probably didn't think much of it. But I, I commented on it this time saying. He said, do you think you can get 15 again? I was like, I'm not sure I got 15 in the first place looking at watching it about now because <laughs> of the fucking short range of motion. Um, not horrendous by any stretch, but certainly there was not full um, scapular uh, protraction and retraction um, and, and, you know, like a, a, a complete full range throughout. So I'll accept that. However, um, I then did it again yesterday. Uh, actually, was it, it might have been this morning. No, yesterday. I think it was yesterday and, and sent it back to him and said, um, I managed 14, not 15. So actually effectively regressed in seven or eight years um but then i thought about it, i thought well actually i'm 15 kilo probably heavier than i was or 15 pounds sorry heavier than i probably was around that sort of period from what i can remember um and actually the video looking at quality in terms of form poles apart yeah so substantially stronger now then. yeah so but that's what i mean obviously you could look at it and think actually i've done less over time because actually i did 15 seven years ago now i only did four uh 14 sorry but Obviously, there's far more ways to then look at how you've 
applied or progressed over a long period of time. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a good point about form as well, Nick, because if your form is not correct, you say, I'm going to full range of motion. Obviously, if you've got an injury, it may be different. But if you, you haven't got full range of motion, how do you know that you're progressing? Because you would go back to the scenario of trying to progress every week. If you bench press all the way down to your chest, back up, stop, do it again, pause at the bottom, blah, blah, blah. Under for 10. And then next you could do 100 for 11, but one of the reps is off your chest. Then you haven't really progressed to do because you cheated the rep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Unless- you've, you've shortened your range of motion to accommodate the fact that you've, yeah. you can't lift the same amount of reps with that heavier yeah. weight. Which is going to be easy to do if you're trying to plough it every week. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very, I think nowadays, if you, if you actually generally look on a gym, it's very rare to see full range of motion on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Leg press is the, I don't think I've, I've probably seen one person full hour or full ROM a leg press. Maybe that's to do with like, you know, uncomfortability as well, but it's like, how do you, it's the, I've, I've been guilty of this up until like fairly recently as well. I think, yeah, it's like, that's not full range of motion. You, you, you're chasing numbers all the time mm. at detriment but, of form. But what I would say though is very common. And and I and I say that from a place of complete and utter empathy. In you know, yeah. use my example there of pull ups. Exactly yeah. that. Like it's, and, and like I I think I find myself having to do kind of almost resets of exercises yeah. quite regularly. Like quite regularly, after then review and just just almost check on like okay, as I progressed over periods of time in training, um, let's have a bit of a form check. And quite often I will find actually, no, yeah, I've just managed to almost unconsciously or subconsciously go into a realm of where form has slightly slipped, range of motion might have slightly shortened or I might have started to use too much momentum and stuff. Um, and you would think someone with experience of training would pick that up quite quickly, as in, you know, you'd do, you'd, you'd do one set or do a rep and realise, oh, no, that wasn't quite good. I'll, 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 I'll improve that for the next set. Sometimes, you know, you can go, I can go for full mesocycles and then it's only really when I start to then do a proper, like, mindful review of it and, th- and think, oh, actually, no, um, I was actually butchering this for... I mean, obviously, it's all relative in terms of when I say butchering, I guess it might still be within a, almost an acceptable or... Yeah, almost an acceptable, uh, I suppose, quality of form. But doesn't mean that I shouldn't do a reset and change and maybe lower the weight and then get more out of it because I might improve things like stimulus fatigue ratio or you know it might be better for hypertrophy based on kind of lowering the rate and doing a, b- a better range of motion compared to what I was doing, trying to then progress through you know, higher intensities or increasing the weight in the bar, that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, it's, it definitely comes from a place of empathy and understanding how easy it is for people to try and to progress just let things slip even tiny little bits of that over time you don't notice week on week but after a month or two you suddenly realize those that extra one percent that you've let slip every single week has all of a sudden added up to quite a difference in you know your quality or form of that exercise yeah, it's a good thing when you've got to sometimes that's what a good training partner can do when you're right actually that rep was call you out yeah call you out or, or, or if you don't have that, film yourself. That's why, like yeah. people, people mock people filming, filming themselves in the gym and stuff. Which I can appreciate why it's uncomfortable, but it's not a narcissistic behaviour to want to film yourself and just make sure that you do your set. You get, you go have a look at the video back, and you think, ah, oh, that felt really good when I was doing it. But looking at back now, I am, I'm cutting like my bent, my my bent of a row. I'm cutting short by a couple of inches, and I'm kind of, I'm not, I'm not fully lowering the bar, and I'm, I'm kind of not even pulling up to my chest. 
Um, I mean, don't be wrong, like range of motion is a funny thing in terms of that. It's quite dynamic for each individual. It will change depending upon like this active and passive range. Because um, obviously some people have a lot wider range of motion mechanically or physically, but that might then, the actual active range in terms of creating stimulus on the muscle might might be shorter. So you might be able to kind of, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, what's the easy example of one? But uh, I don't know. Let's say chest flies. You might be able to go really wide on a chest fly, um, and you and then you obviously like you tap the weights at the top together. Don't do that with metal dumbbells. Core everyone goes mad, don't they? But um, no, <laughs> you the tap the weights top. But obviously, once you reach a po- point where you're kind of perpendicular to the floor, the tension is then all on your your bones. It's not. It's no longer on your muscle. So okay, your range of motion is that you can actually break. So obviously people can't see me because I've demonstrated but obviously Johnny you can so obviously if you're then you're lowering the weight down on a fly and you're obviously they've got a full stretch on the pec obviously the weight's going through that as you bring them together and obviously you get to a point where your arms become like pretty much perpendicular um, at a 90 degree angle up towards the sky so perpendicular from the floor all of a sudden the way gravity is the weight is no longer on your pec it's basically going down your skeleton and obviously that's what but I've got more range of motion where I can bring them close together it doesn't mean it's good for actual hypertrophy because all of a sudden the tension's off your muscle and that's kind of what I mean by active and passive ranges almost as an example um, and I guess it's like I don't even know why I got onto that I, I was talking about range of motion but um, <laughs> I just went off on a rant but um, yeah I, I suppose it just aligns this idea of obviously things like that can slip quite quickly this range of motion and just kind of make sure it still re- aligns within your active range as well yeah, nothing really yeah. to add to that, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, well, I will say something actually. It's like I think some exercises have got like the halo effects, like food in it, like healthy food. It's like people think you have to, if you want big legs, you have to squat. You don't. And I think may time and motivation a little bit. It's like people think oh, I've got to squat. You might be a shit squatter, and just persevering with a, with an exercise that your mechanics just are not very good for. Yeah. You've seen people who can squat shoulder width and just sit into it spine straight it's like pfft, I can't do that yep. and some people, a lot of people can't it's like some people persevere on exercise they're not very good at don't tend to make many gains in it can't really add that much weight they end up getting demotivated yeah. unmotivated whatever because they can't do it and the simple of case well actually I'll just do a pendulum squat instead or I'll do a hack squat yeah they still squat or a goblet yeah I mean I know when you said can't squat you mean obviously specifically yeah. barbell back squat say because obviously like, it's it's like for me I I can get to parallel and squat. I'm probably a bit more bent over than someone who's got, you know, <clears throat> shorter females. But on a pendulum squat, I can squat narrow and hit my calves to my ass. Yeah. I go, actually, I prefer doing that. Because I can still use decent weight on the pendulum squat and I can get proper full range of motion on it. Yeah. Which some people may need to do that. I know it's a bit difficult now when you're in the house. I mean, people got a pendulum squat in the house today, but. Oh, I've just got one here, just behind me, mate, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, on, on motivation as well, sometimes just switching the access down makes things a bit. Uh, you, do, you do get more motivated when you, you know, you're going to add a plate every so often, isn't you? Mm-hmm. No matter what plate is, still plate, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I just going back to what you said quite early on, though, like in terms of not wanting to do stuff, like, and, just, and relying on motivation to kind of then get stuff done is being futile. I I said I said to you prior to the call like without virtue signaling, um, although I am, uh, I can't remember the last time I missed an exercise session. 
I can't remember last time I missed a training session. Like, genuinely, I really can't. Like, as in, I'm probably talking years. Now, clearly, my, my training sessions and schedules are flexible, and I may have flexed some, but I can't remember the last time I actually just missed one through just, oh, I can't be bothered. Like, I, I'm, I I didn't train for a couple of weeks moving house, say, you know, but obviously that's kind of almost planned because I moved house, and that was just kind of what happened. I, did, I actually couldn't, didn't have my gym to train in because I didn't have it all set up and stuff. Um, but just kind of the... Oh, oh, I don't feel like it now. I'm not going to do it. I don't even remember the last time that happened. And and that is not, I promise you, because I love training so much that I could never miss one. Far from it. Like, to a point where, like, I would probably say at least half of my training sessions, if not probably more, I don't feel like doing. Like, mm. genuinely. I genuinely feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm be bothered to do this. Like, I, I might just take 7 billion grams of caffeine just to get myself up for doing it type thing. And, you know, it does happen. Um, so like you know, so I'm not virtue signaling, but the reason like I still get those sessions done is because I've made it into a habit in the same way as brushing my teeth. Like I just do it because I know that it basically serves me. I know that it's good to brush my teeth because it stops my teeth rotting and it stops my teeth falling out and it saves me money at the dentist and the dentist isn't going to tell me off when I go. Um, and that's why I do it. You know that that and I really like the I, I really like the feel of clean teeth. I don't know what I like people that don't brush their teeth for bed. I'm like I don't get that. I can't. I can't sit in bed going. My teeth feel all horrible. I have to be clean but anyway. Um, and at the same way as like why I train because I know it's it serves my goal in terms of what I think is a better physique and it serves my goal for being stronger and fitter and healthier and being able to play with the kids and all of the reasons why I train. So I just do them because I know if I don't do them, I don't get all those things. So it's not. It's no longer motivation for me, really. It's kind of. I mean, I guess you could argue that's kind of no. Well, it is motivation. It's that intrinsic motivation versus that extrinsic motivation, which I suppose does. But I've got to a point where, like, that actually doesn't even enter a in my mind. It becomes almost habit. It's something that I do. Like I said, in the same way, the analogy of brushing your teeth. It just. It just is. And people might think that's virtue signal. I don't know, but yeah. Goodness, because you you know that is it's part of your life, though, isn't it? Mm. Says I, I just, just got to do it. Yeah, I po- I po- I posted something in January, like the first couple of days in January, because obviously everyone was t- starting their resolutions and stuff. And um, a few people of mine, uh, a few friends of mine, I should say, sorry, had posted things around step. Oh, I'm going to make sure I do X, you know, step step goals per like I don't know, 350 days this year. I'm going to make sure I hit my step goal type thing. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I'll, I'll have a look at mine actually last year and see. And there was two days out of the entire year that I didn't hit my step goal. Of, of 2020 two days both days one was about 300 steps short of 10,000 step ch- target which to be honest probably is just a day where uh, it didn't sync properly or I just probably just fell a bit short and forgot to just do 300 steps just to make it up because to be honest if I'd have known that I'd have just fucking walked around the kitchen for 300 steps Christ's sake in 30 seconds type thing because obviously I'd have been like I ain't missing out on 10,000 steps just for that um, and the other one was something like 500 and I was like both those days I could almost doubt I probably have done over 10,000 steps but they just didn't sync so I think myself I know that again it's virtue signaling but and it's ridiculously consistent but it's because it's just in the same way as like people don't not brush their teeth I just don't I just don't not do it that's just what I do and I don't get me wrong like obviously I suppose my lifestyle aligns with that I've set my lifestyle up to make it reasonably easily achievable but then I guess what's stopping other people doing that? Why not? You know, one thing we do with our clients, isn't it? We make sure that our plans, a bit like you said with Sarah, um, we make sure our plans and our client plans that we put out for people meets their lifestyle, not the other way around. We don't I make think, their lifestyle meet our plans. No. I think people will be surprised because I think some 
times people expect everything to change now. And doing this now, we must change everything. And for the last three clients, I haven't changed much to start, if hardly anything. A few bits here and there, just to make sure we're in line with their life. And I guess some go, I guess some results quick, and then we can start changing things as they go. But yeah, like you say, if you know, you're a father, two kids with a family and a job, just the same stress as, as the other how many other million people in the UK. Mm. And but how many people would say I can't, I can't got time? No, you haven't got time because you don't prioritize it. There's a lot of people who haven't got time. You know, you know, if if the CEO of Apple. He probably hasn't got time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because he's the CEO of a giant company. However, he prioritizes different things. So you've got to get priorities straight. If you want, I know people don't think about limited life from in 1890, but, you know, the things you do now will affect you when you're from in 60. And 60 is not an old age. And if you're, you know, you think even back like 30, 30 years ago, a 60 year old may as well have been dead. Mm-hmm. But now, is a different. You run it as a bit, they look a bit fitter. So, you want to know when you go grandkids, you want to be still, you want to be still want to be mobile at 16. And things yeah. you do now are helping you for that long, but I don't think people there's too many. No, people think oh, it's easy for you to say, so well, yeah, I've been like 18 stone fat as, as well. Like, you know, what I mean? so it's not, I've never, I've never been overweight, but too many people make too many excuses not to do something, yeah. And I think, yeah. Or some people got some people got genuine reasons why they can't, uh, yeah. Make, I'll... Like five days a week training, that's fair enough. But do something. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, and there's also periods. I think, like, I can think of like one of my clients at the moment, Lee, where I know he's working ridiculous hours. Like, the, the, his job at the moment is very high stress, and he's having to put in hours of eight till nine o'clock at night type thing. You know, like a literally twelve, thirteen hour days type thing. And I know then that does leave little time to do much else. But obviously, we're trying to work around that. But one thing he understands is that this isn't something that can be permanent he understands that he can't he can't work like that permanently because it, when it affects his health his mental health his physical health and everything um but also he does have other goals and priorities that he then wants to do but he's prepared to kind of almost sacrifice his priorities for work for now because or for a little while because obviously it's just things so what i was going to say is there will there will be peaks and troughs in terms of what you can and can't do and what what time and priorities people have but in over the long term there is an excuse because it does then come down to priorities like there will be periods where people don't have time that is a genuine excuse you don't have time to do something but that is an excuse that you can have all the time 100% not like we said earlier is you, you, you go through phases of prioritising different things because you know some people have got mega, mega you know if you're high up in a company and you've got to work 12, 14, 16 hour days then very difficult to drink but you know sometimes that doesn't that may last a month or so but then you can prioritize other things when you're not. Yeah. Like, I work 12 hours a day. My job is 25 minutes away, so I work 13 hours a day. So someone says to me about 12 hours a day, I'm like, so? Yeah. I have kids as well. Yeah. Like, there we are. But I'm not saying I'm better. You are. You're, I, you're virtually signaling Johnny, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just prioritize training. You know, I'll, you know, I'll get up at six. No, six. I go to work. I've been working for six, so I have to get up at half past four. But if I have to, I'll train and I'll train at o'clock at night. I don't care. Mm. I, I, it closes at nine, so I go by. I go to bed at ten. Right? I get six hours sleep, but then whatever. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm better, but I'm. I just prioritise the things that I I like training as well, especially. Yeah. In the, but like, if people want to get 
to a goal and try and stay there and try and stay around the goal, you have to change your habits over time. I'm not saying you have to do it straight away, but you have to have habits that I can that align with your goals. Because don't forget, one body you get. What is fact is fact. That's the end of you. Mm. It's no but, second body. Well, you know, maybe you can have you know, maybe you can swap a few bits and bobs you and then I'm getting say in the in the future we might have, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But currently, you know, if you if your joints start failing because you're overweight, yeah, you can have knee replacements, hip replacements. But do you really want to go into that? Not yeah. really. That, that, that's what I was going to say. In that, like, the the priority thing is kind of like it's an, it's a nice thing to say, and it is in terms of like it's just not priority for a lot of people. Um, but then on the flip side, there's also a bit like okay, but can you afford not to prioritize it for the reasons you just said? So if you don't prioritise it now, it will eventually become a problem at some point. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, hundred percent. I was thinking about this the other day. Not particularly that, but like you look at the um, statistics of cancer, and it's so one one in two will be directly affected. So one in two of us will get it. Mm. So statistically, Imagine. you will get it. One of us will, yeah. Statistically, I was thinking, right? If, is that 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 statistic is on people maybe who've got cancer? And you look at right, how many people excessively drink, excessively smoke, are overweight, um, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. I mean, if if you took a population of healthy people then, healthy weight, healthy habits, moderate training, eat well, what would the instances of cancer be in that population? Be quite interesting to see. Because if you if you could go right, a healthy lifestyle. Okay, clearly doesn't stop cancer because genetically you might have it and that's the end of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But if you could go from one in two to one in ten, then surely even that's motivation enough to go actually right. That's yeah. something love to do. Especially yeah, yeah. As, obviously as you get older, you are more likely to get it. Well, so I, I think I think a lot. Life, go on. Yeah, so no, sorry, mate. I was just kind of talking over you then, but I was just going to say I think a lot of people or a lot of people's theory is that. Um, cancer is an aging disease for for so and I'll be honest like I've got no idea in terms of whether that's accurate or not but obviously the the fact that we're living longer we see higher rates of cancer now than than you know the human race ever has purely because obviously it's kind of like you know we would get cancer at some point we just live as in if you live long enough you'd get cancer um, it's just the way it works in, in that your body can only kind of redevelop or cells for so long before they become mutated or you get cancer cells Um like I said, that's probably absolutely completely false. And given the episode last week with, um, <laughs> obviously with with uh, Dave Robert Grimes on and his area of expertise in cancer research and also conspiracy theories, it's probably a really stupid thing for me to say. But um, you know, there might be some truth, and I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those logical fallacies potentially as well. I don't know. But <laughs> you look at obesity is a risk of. Well, cancer. Yeah, that's that, that's the thing I was going to say is obviously you, the things you just said around having um, taking you know health seeking people and individuals so all the behaviours that you you listed off we know that they reduce risks for ca- lots of ca- types of cancer and um, cardiovascular disease and metabolic um, diseases and stuff like that so it makes absolute sense that they would then if you only looked at them in terms of their you know the chance of getting a type of cancer that would be a lot less. Or a lot better odds than that one in two. I mean, whether that would be one in ten or one in five, or whatever, God knows. I don't know, but obviously it would be. Like, obviously we know correlation doesn't equal causation, but 
you look at the rise in obesity over the last 10, 20, 30 years, and you know, recently we were one in three directly affected, now we're one in two. So I, I would imagine obesity has got something to do with, I'm not saying guaranteed it have, but there's got to be some you know, correlation between obesity rising, cancer cases rising. Yeah. Obviously, as you go along, you can identify different cancers, and it's easier to identify earlier on when you may not have identified it before. So you've got to take into account things like that. But you know, as a as a developed world, Western society is probably getting unhealthier. It's just lucky that medical care is getting better. I think definitely getting unhealthier, mate. But yes, obviously, like you say, medical care has become better. There was this idea of um, 30, 40 years ago, you barely saw anyone obese. Like, you know, I think... One of our one of the groups I'm in action. I can't remember what group it was now, but someone shared a picture from the 70s of on the beach, and they said like almost no one there you would consider as overweight, um, you know, which is a stark contrast to what current currently there are. Um, and obviously, someone said, "Yeah, what a stupid picture though. The life expectancy of these individuals is way lower than it is now." And I was like, "This is so nuanced that like is it, is it that much lower?" Uh, well, I mean, obviously. Forty, fifty years ago, yes, life expectancies were lower than they are now. Um, although, although, although we are now starting to see a plateau in terms of life expectancy, obviously, life expectancy has been increasing for a good number of years. But I think that recently, the um, COVID aside, we're now starting to see that actually the people aren't living longer anymore. Um, doesn't mean obviously I think that's that's we're we're you know we're living shorter now. Um, but anyway, the idea is this picture is obviously people are saying about how. Um, oh well you know they might have all been thin but you know they all died earlier type of narrative it's like no it's way more complicated than that um one thing you haven't you've discounted immediately is the fact that we've got far better medical treatment so one of the reasons that obviously even though we're overweight um and we're living longer probably because we've got better medicine you know we've got better pharma pharmacological pharma better pharma um all of these types of things which are allowing us to live longer not and despite the fact that we live on Oreos and beer and cigarettes, you know. And what I always dislike, you, know, you you get the thing of, yeah, but he or she was healthy and she still died of cancer. I'm like, yeah, so that means you're not going to even attempt to be healthier. Mm. Like, stop being such a child. I know it's this. I like, can't. I, it, it, it's so short-sighted in looking at how, how science works, but. You think mm-hmm. if, if you're if you're if you were a parent, your child said that to you, you'd be thinking, "No, I don't accept that." Unfortunately, you know, you 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 do things, hopefully, that will help you in your health long term. Like smoking is absolutely pointless. It's the it's the most pointless thing on planet Earth, pontless. But how many people do it? I'm like, "Get rid of bus tomorrow." Yeah, if you're a fucking idiot who walks in the road without looking, mm-hmm. that's the response I get from smokers. I hate it. Yeah. It's just it's the society we live in, and I yeah. do when I they don't care about anybody else. It's like, yeah, well, it's the comment you made about parents is quite interesting because it just only made me think about how, like, some someone might say, um, like I said, use the example of so and so person. You know, they were they lived really healthily, and they had they got cancer and died early. So why should I bother? Or you know, we all know that one woman in there. I don't know why I picked the one, but you know, the, the the one person in their hundred, they they reached a hundred, and all they did was smoke and eat fish and chips every day. Um, so you know why should I bother type thing it's like yeah but as a parent if your kid says oh mum can I have a, an iPad because so and so down the road has got one you'd be like I'm not buying an iPad just because someone else has got one 
you know, that's the type of mentality that they would have. They'd be like, just because so-and-so kids or so-and-so's parents let them have sweets every night doesn't mean I'm going to allow you type thing. It's kind of like, you know, the same people that use those type of um, excuses for how they might manage stuff, uh, but obviously then don't see how it then misaligns with the logic from other things they might do in terms of, you know, that, that type of mess that you said there. But um, we are an hour 15 in, and obviously I guess like the, we wanted to talk around this idea of motivation and stuff and how like not not allowing kind of a lack of motivation to then derail you from your progress it's really hard thing to kind of talk about because obviously we all get demotivated sometimes and obviously we should all have empathy and care self-care for ourselves in terms of forgiving ourselves if we don't do the things that we should do or we know serves us um i think this is probably how i'd like to end the the episode on in terms of like not being totally like damning to people that just you know have falling in the trap of that demotivated idea and then not doing stuff um but to the same breath i would like to then get those individuals to make sure they do challenge themselves so i think that's where it comes down to like yes there'll be reasons like the really long hours and oh therefore i can't train type thing as a genuine excuse as to why you can't do certain stuff but i think if they're challenging if as long as you're genuinely challenging yourself like could i do something could i do something more um, you know, like the example of the injury in terms of like, okay, rather than just do nothing, is there something I could do instead? And I think obviously that way you can then be genuinely forgive, forgiving of yourself for not doing like what is quote unquote optimal because you've, you know, you've done the next best thing. You know, you've thought about it, you've challenged yourself and you've thought actually, okay, well, I can't do X, Y, Z exercise, but maybe I can do a different exercise. Um, like even to the point where like, oh, I can't do resistance training because I've got injury, but maybe I can go for a walk or do something, you know, cardio-based or something different. You know, it's still better than nothing, isn't it? Mm. You know, just being active. Okay, it might not align or suit the specific goal you might have had. Like, if you're doing resistance training because you've got a goal of hypertrophy and build a muscle, but all of a sudden you're not doing that and you're now doing something more cardio-based, okay, it's not going to help you and align you with, towards your specific goals, but there are more positive aspects as well in terms of you might enjoy it. You might just enjoy the cardio. It might be a bit of fun. You still get active. You're still boosting your cardiovascular system. Um, you're still going to get the health benefits from it. All those types of things. So I guess obviously it's about finding like almost the next best thing rather than worrying about oh I'm yeah you know, I can't do what's optimal. So I'm just going to do nothing. I do think sometimes it's good to have people who are in who got similar goals to you as well, or sometimes have training partners. Well, that does help with the motivation. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. If well. Or, because especially if you're like, you know, sometimes you just need to go fucking suck it up by the cup. And get off. <laughs> I'm yeah. not saying to anyone, I'm not saying, but sometimes you've got to go think right. You've got to, there are times you, will, you won't be motivated to do things. There's shit going on. It's just how it is. But sometimes it's like, just get it done. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think you necessarily need a part and do that. I think you can tell yourself. I think you can yeah. actually say to yourself, look, fucking hell, stop being a pussy and just suck it up. Like, I know yeah. that is the politically incorrect term. And I, I sound a bit like you there, don't I? But. <laughs> no but i think obviously like the only thing i'd say about having a partner is that's still within relying on external motivation which if your partner's yeah. then not around you're gonna be fucked um yeah. but anyway um i think we should round up mate because we're in hour 18 now and i've just got a notification to say my macbook's about to go to sleep and my power ch- my cut power ch- cables downstairs <laughs> i don't want to lose this recording after an hour and 18 minutes so um been fun enjoy a bit a lot um yeah hopefully people can took some some use out please rate review subscribe and all that stuff share with your network uh please 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 we would really genuinely appreciate it um and i guess we will see you all next week yeah you will next uh, monday right. bonjour thank you for listening to the nnn podcast 
If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Thank you.